You're listening to the Keef to the City podcast. All right, on Thursday night, the Rangers picked up a 6-3 win over New Jersey. In Igor Shesterkin's second start, his second consecutive start, his second start in the NHL, he's now 2-0. He played very well once again to lead the Rangers to their second straight win, their fourth straight home win, in which they have now scored 21 goals in their last four home games, which is pretty remarkable, pretty outrageous, considering the history of these Rangers in really the Henrik Lundqvist era, where any one-goal deficit, two-goal deficit felt like more of a three or four or even more goal deficit. Um, So it's exciting to watch these Rangers score four, five, six goals nearly every single game and certainly in their home games. And now they head to St. Louis on Saturday to face the defending Stanley Cup champions, the best team in the Western Conference, a team that's won 15 of 22 home games this season. And it looks like Henrik Lundqvist will be back in net with Igor Shosturkin in the press box and Georgiev backing up, uh, which creates even more of a wrinkle into this controversy of, of the three goaltender issue. Uh, which isn't going away anytime soon until there's a resolution to fix it, to solve it, and that's most likely going to be moving Georgiev because you can't move Shesterkin given his hype, given what he's done. I understand that his track record and, and his NHL career is much shorter than Georgiev's, but that's really the only option. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist isn't going anywhere. He's made it clear he's not going to waive his no-trade clause. If he was going to do that, he probably would have done it last year or the year before when this team was awful. Uh, now you can see a light at the end of the tunnel. You, you can see that this rebuilding process is actually working. It sort of got expedited with Panarin signing, with the team uh, miraculously getting the second overall pick in Kako, uh, with the Truba trade. So the pieces are there. This team is going to be good you know, relatively soon. They're certainly on the playoff bubble as it stands now in a year where they weren't supposed to compete at all, uh, a year that was supposed to be all about experience and not about wins and losses. And, and maybe they're not a Stanley Cup team this year, and maybe they're not going to be one next year year in Lundqvist's final year of his contract, but maybe he comes back after that at a very reasonable contract to be the veteran backup behind Shesterkin. Uh, maybe he walks away, but it just doesn't seem like that's, but it just doesn't seem like something he's going to do in waiving his no trade clause. Um, and even if it was to a team like Toronto or Colorado, teams that seem to be a goaltender away from really truly being a contender, uh, it just doesn't seem like Lundqvist is going to do that. So the Rangers move on and, and they keep going with this three-headed NCAA style goalie situation. You're never going to see Lundqvist in the press box, that's for sure. So it's going to be between Shesterkin and Georgiev each game, who starts, who sits, who backs up, who watches and eats hot dogs from the press box. Uh, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So as the team heads to St. Louis to try to keep this two-game winning streak going, uh, Brian Monzo of WFAN joined me to talk about the state of the Rangers, uh, everything going on with them, especially with this unique three games against the Islanders in, in eight days coming up starting this week. Uh, so here we go. All right, joining me today to talk about the Rangers as they head out to St. Louis to face the defending Stanley Cup champion Blues is Brian Monzo of WFAN. Monzo, how's it going today? Hello, Neil. How are you? <laughs> I feel like it's been forever since we've done this, but uh, you always give a good a good response to how's it going today. Yeah, I know. Well, you know what? I'm sitting here just uh, trying to avoid the, the insanity. So, <laughs> Well, the uh, Rangers coming off two straight wins at home, now a four-game home winning streak. Uh, they certainly have their problems on the road, as we saw in Western Canada, but 
they're going to have to write those if they if they want to get into this postseason uh, you know bubble situation for real. Um, right now, the Flyers holding the second wild card spot on pace for 97 points. For the Rangers to play at a 97 point pace, they're going to have to go 23, 11, and five here over their final 39 games, which uh, seems you know maybe not impossible, but about as close as impossible as it gets for a rebuilding team. Uh, you know, now that we're halfway through the season, what have you seen from this team? Um, that you've liked or disliked, and uh, you know, as we get another step forward in this rebuilding process, for the most part, they seem like a team that really doesn't quit. You know, Colorado game, they felt up two nothing early. I mean, I know it was early in the, you know, within eight minutes of the game, but I, you know, I felt pretty confident that you know they get back into the mix. And you know, before you blinked, it was you know two two. So you know, they're a team that, that fights, they grind, they really have a you know, they've had a couple bad games, but. They really have a game where they're just, like, absolutely brutal. I mean, you go back to the Bruins game earlier in the year. They had a game against the Golden Knights. They were awful. But uh, they play, and they play hard. And uh, something else I like is that most of the guys they've acquired or drafted, for the most part, with the exception of uh, Leah Sanderson, have seemed to pan out in some capacity. When you look at a guy like Brett Howden, who they traded for, uh, Lieber Hayek, these guys, they may not be superstars, but you can tell they're hockey players, and they're going to be a part of the team. Brett Howden could be a tremendous third-line center or a uh, really good power forward on the power play. He's only 21. You look at Filipino, you can see him getting better. You know, they're, they're slowly getting Kako into the mix, which I think is the right move because you don't need him to be a really dynamic player at this point. Now you've seen the transition of Zabinijad from a, you know, a really good player to like a really, really good player where he's, I think, to me, one of the best two-way players in the league. Um, and you just go up and down. Jasper Fats has really become one of their, their top players. And I think he's built for more of a third or fourth line role. But, you know, if you're clicking with uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, you know, there's no reason to change. And you've seen them get the most out of Ryan Strom. So it seems right now everything they touch, whether it's uh, Alexander Georgiev to Igor Shatsterkin to, uh, you know, Ryan Lindgren, and these guys all seem to be panning out. And look at a guy like Tony D'Angelo, who's, who's really performed tremendous offensively and uh, a little bit of a voice in the locker room as well. You know, And then you look at the guys behind him and you think of names like Andre Miller and Niels Lundqvist. I mean, you know, they almost have too much of an abundance, but uh, I guess that's not a bad thing. So what I really like the most is the team's ability to battle on the ice and their depth because it just looks like more guys are coming every year. We haven't even talked about the Telly Kravstall. I mean, there's just, it's a lot of promise and it's very exciting. And, you were talking about how you intro the playoffs, and you know that was probably, I guess, when you sign Artemi Panarin, you think it's possible. But to me, I mean, they're, they're not built to be a playoff team. So, you know, if they make a run and they get in, you know, it's just a bonus. You know, I don't look. You know, anything they do this year, positive in the standings to me, is a bonus to the sign of things to come. Well, you mentioned Panarin there, and uh, for the chance now to watch him day in and day out, and you know, not just catch him on NHL TV or, or here and there, uh, to see how good this guy is uh, for an 82-game season is pretty outstanding. And I know you're the biggest of the Yager fans that there are. And if you look at what the Rangers have gone through since Yager was on this team, and I really put Rick Nash and Marion Gabrick in that same sort of tier level or that same level of player. Uh, but Panarin is that next step up. And maybe he's not the all-time great that Yager is, but He's as good as it gets right now in the league and certainly, you know, has been a bright spot after two miserable years of uh, being unable to score goals. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to compare anybody to Yager, especially what he did for the team when he came out of that initial lockout. But when you look at Marion Gabrick, like he was a really good goal scorer. Um, I'm not sure he changed the co- the complexion of the game. 
uh, Rick Nash developed into a really good two-way player, and despite all the grief he got, I really I think he did a good job in New York. But for the most part, like he didn't change the game. You know, Panarin changed the game. Every time he's on the ice, something happens. And if you don't see him every day, you don't realize how good of a player he is. And I guess in some ways, maybe I didn't realize just how good of a player he was. Um, and I remember when they signed him, July 1st, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., actually. I got a text from McMonagle, who I work with, who's a, a tepid ranger. He's a good ranger fan, but, you know, more into it when the playoffs start. So he hasn't been in the last couple of years. And he was like, you know, you know I, I see they, they acquired Panarin. He looks like a good player and a top free agent, but just looking at his point total, you know, he's not, he's not up there with like the McDavid's. And I'm like, no, he's not, but, you know, he's also young. He, he wasn't drafted, and, you know, he's putting up point-of-game statistics, which this day and age is, is makes you a really good player. So he bought in, and uh, even he is looking at me like, I didn't realize how good this guy is. And he's just, no, he's great. And he, he gets the most, like, when you're running a line with Brian Strom and Jesper Fast, and that's your top line, <laughs> you, uh, it just shows you how you make the, when you make the players around you better, and that's, that's not something Gabbert did. And, and I think, you know, at times Nash did that, and Yager obviously did that, but, you know, he's just a special player. It's fun to watch. You know, look at the power play, and, you know, he doesn't miss the net. Like, he does everything right. He, I, you know, I, I think it was, and I'm sure you're going to love this reference. Um, the game a couple of days ago, there was on national TV, the Avalanche game. Uh, Pierre Maguire, well, I don't know what you think about him, but I'm, I'm a fan of his. You know, and, um, what Panarin has is something you can't teach. He just has hockey sense. He always knows where to be, and he is. He's always in the right spot. And, you know, I coach hockey. My son plays hockey. I have no idea how to teach them to be in the right spot. So it's just something I think you're born with, and it's fun to watch. And what's funny about what you just said, you know, the fact that Panarin's averaging, you know, he's on pace to get 116 points, which is, uh, you know, would just be shy of Yager's 123 14 years ago. But the fact that he's doing this with Fost and with Strom as his line mates is just ridiculous. And to think if he had, I'm all for saying screw line balance, I think you should put Zabanajad and Kako with Panarin and just make a super line the way that teams like Boston or Colorado do. And they just, you know, I, I get that they have more experience in depth below that line but the Rangers should just try it out because like you said this season is not about necessarily wins and losses and playoffs but uh it would just be better for I think for the team and to, to, to think that Foss and Strom are going to help this guy get his career high in points if he had actually two offensively talented players playing with him it's, it's r- ridiculous to think what he could do yeah I mean well, Strom was drafted I think you know fifth or sixth overall so I mean he was supposed yeah. to be a dynamic offensive player um obviously Jesper Fats more of a depth forward who obviously is defensively responsible and, and all this stuff but I I, I think yeah, look it drove me crazy earlier in the year how, how Quinn was moving along every every game was changing him you know it was just it got to be ridiculous I'm not one of these people that's really a batting lineup crazy person or you know line you know NHL line crazy person but you can't change the lines every day. You know, you got to change. You know, you got to try these guys out. And, and obviously, when you look now, he found something with Panarin and Strom. He found something with Kreider and Zibanejad. He found something with Howden, Kako, and Hedl. So, um, well, I think that would be a lot of fun to watch uh, if they're competing for a playoff spot here, and they obviously are. Um, the line balance right now is really good. I mean, that'll probably change when they, you know, trade Chris Kreider, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think right now he's uh, he's found good combinations, and I, you know, if it were up to me, I probably would swap out Kako and Foss just to give Kako more opportunity. But you know, I, what's helped him out, and you've seen it the last couple of games, is they're not relying on him. You know, he's not one of those players 
that has to be great right now. And I think he will be really good, but you don't need it right now. And it's just letting him develop into a, an 18 year old NHL player, soon to be 19. So um, right now, what Quinn's doing, with the exception of Ben Kako with two minutes left for Greg McKegg is uh, really good. Yeah, and, and with Kreider, it seems crazy to think it's been eight years now since we were doing this podcast talking about the fact that they should trade Rick Nash, they should go all in for the Stanley Cup. They didn't. Uh, he probably was going to be that missing piece in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Devils. Uh, but here we are now, eight years later, Kreider's spent his entire time with the Rangers, uh, and uh, it's most likely that he's going to get dealt. I mean, he's going to be looking for a long-term deal. The Rangers just don't have that flexibility, especially with all the names you mentioned coming up. Um and much cheaper names at, at that and people who could probably, you know, in the next two years give you the same type of level of production, maybe not be the same overall player. But uh, it, it is it just seems inevitable at this point that Kreider's going to get moved. I know some people are holding on to hope that they'll work out an extension or something, but they weren't able to do it with Hayes. They weren't able to do it with Zuccarello. They've gotten rid of every tradable, valuable asset in the last two years. So Kreider's just the next in line there. Yeah, and, and listen, you know, I, I think sometimes he, he could drive you crazy. Um, without a doubt, but I don't think his numbers always reflect how good of a player he's been. He's been a great player. I wouldn't call him great. I would, I'd say he's been a really good player. It's tough for me, though, um, to give him a long-term contract, five, six years, you know, six to seven million dollars when his biggest asset is his speed and he's going to be 30 years old. So he's not Mike Gartner. You know, there's only one Mike Gartner who could you know, score 30 goals a year, be fast as hell at the age of 42. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's best for business. It's going to be, uh, unfortunate to see him go. You know, he was one of the players when I was doing NHL draft, uh, you know, mock drafts. I actually had him going to the Rangers, which was unbelievable, but I actually got it right. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, if you can get a good B plus level prospect and a, a one and maybe a, a four or five or what that for a team that's really up there in contention, Colorado comes to mind. You imagine putting Chris Kreider with Colorado, how good, how good of a player he'd be with them. But it just doesn't, uh, doesn't look like it's in the cards. I don't think he's, nor should he, have to give some ridiculous discount to the Rangers. He's not going to take $4 million a year, um, you know, or $3.5 million a year, except with the Rangers. And I don't think players should have to do that. So uh, it might be his time. But like you said, they have a lot of players coming. They uh, will have. You know, some money coming off the books. So, I mean, you know, they can add a player. You can find a Ryan Strom. It's going to be unfortunate, but I think it's inevitable. Well, the other big question is, aside from trading Kreider, uh, is the goaltending situation. Igor Shesterkin gets two starts, wins them both. Now on Saturday, he's going to be in the press box eating hot dogs while Georgiev backs up Henrik Lundqvist. To me, Henrik Lundqvist isn't waving his no-trade clause. If he was going to do that, I think he would have done it either last year or the year before when this team was really miserable and awful when they didn't know that they were going to get Panarin in the second overall pick and hit on all these young kids. Uh, but now there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel where Lundqvist can see that this team's going to be good, you know, possibly as soon as next season. Uh, so to me, the move is to trade Georgiev, and maybe that's the Rangers' move. Uh, but I just feel like this needs to be wrapped up and resolved, uh, you know, quite soon because you can't just keep having this weird rotation of three goalies like it's an NCAA team. No, it, I don't really think I'm in position to question with the likes of Jeff Gordon, John Davidson, and Dunn because they've done such a good job. But this is a really odd one. Um, I, I think Shesterkin has earned his right to be on the big team, to be in the NHL. Uh, I think Georgiev has earned his right to be in the NHL, and you don't even need to give you a Henry Lundqvist resume. So um, it's a good problem to have. 
this is the weird way they've handled it. I would have thought they would have called up Shesterkin when they had a, a move ready to make for, for I would assume, Georgiev. Uh, obviously, they're not there yet. So, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird one. Uh, I would say the right move. I think Georgiev has some value. I think you can get uh, a young player and or a high draft pick form, which I think is really solid for a player that we'd never heard of two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think it's the right move. I, I know he's got a lot of money against the cap, but I think it's the right move. If you're going to go with Chesterkin as your, you know, one, and then Lundqvist is kind of a 1B, you know, where Chesterkin gets most of the starts, and I think Lundqvist understands at this point that his role has changed, uh, I, and Chesterkin's obviously a big fan of Lundqvist. Uh, it's been public about that. I think it's the right move to have those two here. And whatever you can get for Georgiev, you package him maybe with somebody to get a to get a young player or a high pick. Uh, I think that's going to be the move. But it just goes to show how, how good of a goaltending coach um, you know they have and how they've done this for years, how they've turned around guys like Cam Talbot and Antti Ranta and gotten uh, pieces for them when you know they weren't supposed to be really good goaltenders. And, and it also shows they kind of fizzle out when they leave here. Um, I know Talbot had a really good year in Edmonton before he came back to life, and you really haven't heard much of Antti Ranta since they dealt him. So, you know, it, it, I would go, I'd go Lundqvist, Chesterkin, and with Chesterkin with the starter at this point. I think it's still, it's the right move. And, and I, you saw that video after the game where they're talking and Lundqvist is telling Chesterkin who to give the Broadway hat to. It just, that was cool to see. And I, and I think he's going to embrace the role of being the elder statesman in the goaltending uh, part of the game for the team. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, everyone talks about the fact that, you know, the Rangers did waste Lundqvist prime with terrible roster construction. But, the you know, and then they talked about how by the time his contract is up, this team wouldn't be ready to win again. But maybe the solution is, like you said, Georgiev gets moved, Lundqvist stays and his, his big money contract end next season. But maybe he comes back in a more limited role, like you said, as the backup. I mean, you can do a lot worse than having a, you know, 39, 40-year-old Henrik Lundqvist, uh, you know, his veteran presence, what he still brings. I'm sure he's not going to stay in the game if he doesn't think he's able to compete at the highest level. So maybe he does get to see this thing through when the team is actually good again. Maybe he's the backup in that role, but he, you know, would still be part of it. And just to me, it seems like he's not going anywhere. He would have already done it. No, I agree with you. I, 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 after next year, you know, at 39, 40 years old, if he wants to hang on for one year at a very, very reasonable uh, financial rate, uh, I'm all for it. Um, like I love Hank. I'm not one of these people that's, that's hating on him as he, as he gets older, and it's apparent his game has digressed a little bit. But in his prime, he kept the Rangers relevant. You know, I, 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 I kind of wish that, imagine this team when you had 2009 Henrik Bunkley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they'd, be, they'd be tremendous. So it's, um, he had a great run. Uh, Hall of Famer, number retired. Rangers, I think you know the greatest goalie in Rangers history. I know I know Richter won the cup, and you know I'm not never going to knock Mike Richter, but I think if you're looking just on talent, just on talent alone, Lundqvist is a better goaltender than Richter. So yeah, I, I have no problem keeping Henrik on as long as really he wants to, and as long as he thinks he can, you know, compete at a very good level. Yeah, and I never understood the he had like people who believe he had to win a cup to be considered the best, or he has to win a cup to you know solidify what he's done in the league as if you know it's a one if it's a one man sport. Uh, but I'll never really get these people who you know if he gives up a bad goal, not only just this year but really any year, and people pile on and say, oh, he cost us a point tonight, he cost us two points. The only, like you said, the only reason this team was you know relevant for the last fifteen years is because of him. Any success they had is because of him. Any time they won a playoff series, when they advanced to the conference finals, when they went to the Stanley Cup final, was because of him. So it it just it's so weird that people are so quick to 
to turn on him and to, and to blame him for anything for what he's done for this team for you know a decade and a half. Yeah, I mean, people get on the, the two goal leads in the Stanley Cup game, but yeah, you know, they wouldn't have got to the Stanley Cup final without Henrik Lundqvist. So I mean, he it's, wasn't he wasn't know. giving uh, breakaway passes up the middle either. Right. It's just it's it's silly. I mean, look, every goalie gives up a bad goal here and there, and you know, certainly as he's gotten older, uh, some of the goals have looked a little weaker. Um, but it, you know, it comes with age, and, and you know the Rangers aren't as good defensively uh, as you would like them to be right now. But I can't get on them. I mean, there were games where you know, Game Seven against the Lightning when they get shut out. I mean, what can you do in a game where you get shut out? You know, you can't do anything. He should have scored so, a goal. You know. Yeah, he's not. He's not Pekka Rene. So <laughs> um, it's it's it, it gets a little frustrating and, and tiresome to hear some of the bash you want, Chris. Uh, it's just, I think, an easy way out, to be honest with you. But uh, he deserves all the accolades. Uh, he, he's just ridiculously, ridiculously good back in the day, and, and he still is playing at a high level. Um, but I, I, again, and I think he's cool with it. You know, it's a little bit of a passing of the torch here, and I'm ready to go with his team with Shesterkin one and, and Luckless the backup. And you know, I think a backup goalie these days still plays. 30, 35 games, and you know, I think with one that'd be perfectly fine. You mentioned earlier about uh, the line, the line changes, the line shuffling of David Quinn, and not really sticking with guys uh, earlier in the season. Uh, you know, last year it was impossible to grade him because of how bad the roster was. This year, uh, the roster certainly better, but it's his first real season coaching a team with you know even a speck of talent, uh, and it's still a rebuilding process. I think next year we'll really be able to grasp uh, the type of coach he is. But what did you know? What is your take on, on David Quinn? I know you know Rangers social media. Uh, there's certainly a huge divide given the favoritism he sort of takes with benching players based on penalties. Uh, who gets ice time? Who earns ice time? Who sort of gets it for no reason at all? Uh, what's your overall take on, on David Quinn now, a year and a half into this job? There are some things that I wonder if they're not fully his decision. For example, um, why Michael Haley's on the roster and gets the play. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that's his call, and uh, I have I, I, Greg McKegg is a per in, in this day and age is a perfectly fine fourth liner should never play beyond the fourth line, and I think he's okay with that. Um, but and those are some of the negatives. You know, the benching because of the penalties. It, it in some aspects it makes sense, and in some aspects it doesn't. The the, the one that got noted was the Kapokaka one. I mean, he's having his best game of the season. They're talking about how he's developing his confidence back, and then he gets benched because he took a penalty late in the third period, about eight minutes left, that didn't lead to a goal. And it might have been a questionable penalty to begin with. So it, it, to see him get benched for Greg McKegg with two minutes left down by one goal, you know, you, you want to tell the coach that you relax. But there's no argument to me that he's taken some players and made them better. Ryan Strom is a real hockey player. Now I know you can say he's playing with Panarin, but the coach found that, that, that combination. Jesper Fast is a better player. Because of Benajad, while he was getting better towards the end of the Vigneault reign, has turned into a close to an elite player. So he knows how to develop guys and help them take that next step. Um, I think he's doing that with Brett Howden, who, I, who I'm seeing really develop into that really good third-line player, big body, gets in front of the net. Chris Kreider has been better this season. So he has a what Vigneault and maybe Tortorella didn't have with an ability to take a player who's playing at a certain level and get him to go to the next level. That's what I've noticed Quinn can do, and that's why I think he's right for a team like this where you have a lot of guys that are developing and are going to become better players, at least you hope, and if they don't, like Leah Anderson, they figure 
out early and they uh you know they figure out a way to move on all right Mazza. well thanks for coming out today i appreciate you taking the time to talk that's rangers it? yeah that's it we're good i'm not gonna sit here and break down uh geo or shellos are you know uh, two million dollars <laughs> i know that's that's a good bargain for him especially because considering it's a great bargain yeah <laughs> it's uh you know yeah i mean uh they they had some good hits. I mean, Judge getting eight uh, eight and a half, Paxton getting twelve and a half. So they had some uh, huge raises. Gary Sanchez at five million. But if you get your starting third baseman with twenty home run power for two million, you can't beat that. I'll trade you a Brendan Nimmo for anybody. So. <laughs> He's my. I know you like to bust on players. He's my Met player, and I almost feel bad for him because it's not about him. He's the Met player that just drives me nuts, and it's because of hey, you want to talk about the fans. Over it. They, people are actually telling me that they won't trade him straight up for Starling Marte. I just want to put my head through a wall. Yeah, I mean, you got it. Well, I, I think any fan base is always atta- you know irrationally attached to homegrown talent, but I feel like Mets fans like take it to another level. And it's okay with some players. You want to tell me J.D. Davis, you think, can blossom into a really good hitter after last year? I, I can give you that. You can't tell me. I don't, I don't want to hear all these advanced stats. You can't bat 221 and convince me that you're better than Starling Marte. You just can't do it. <laughs> That's a good I don't point. care that you, you well, I don't care that you, 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 you know, get hit by 18 pitches a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks, All right, thanks again. Love and happiness. All right, thanks again to Mazzo for coming on and talking Rangers after the game on Saturday against St. Louis. Like I said, the team plays the Islanders three times in eight days with a game against Columbus, sandwiched in between the second and third games of the three Islanders games uh and there's a a long layoff you know they have a 10-day break because of the all-star game because of uh the way it's scheduled because of their NHL mandated bye week um and then they finish up the month with a game against Detroit that's part of a home and home series with Detroit uh wrapping around to that weekend so a lot of metropolitan games coming up in the second half here it's a very metropolitan heavy schedule uh the Rangers will have an opportunity to determine their own fate for a playoff spot I still don't think it's that realistic of a possibility. It's just the math just doesn't really work out at this point in their favor. Uh, If you look at how many games they have left, they have 39 games left. They're probably going to need at least 98 points to get in. Uh, It could be even 100 this season. If you look at getting to 100 points after the win over New Jersey, it's probably going to take a 24-9-6 record, something along those lines for the Rangers to get in. So um, are they able to play 24-9-6 hockey over 39 games? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. It, you know they've, shown, they've shown moments where they can when they beat teams like Tampa Bay and Carolina and Nashville and Colorado, uh, but then they have these letdowns like they had in Western Canada or when they lose to Ottawa or Philly, who they're directly trying to take points from for that second wildcard spot. So they've given you what you'd expect from a rebuilding team. A lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of inconsistency. Um, And that's to me why I just don't think getting to that 98, 99, 100 point plateau is possible at this point. Uh, But it's certainly not impossible. So a strong finish here for these final games of this month before that 10 day break can certainly go a long way in helping their math and helping uh, keep that loss column where it is. But it starts with trying to beat the Stanley Cup champion Blues in St. Louis and then trying to you know do some work against the Islanders. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. City.